speak through me. Please get me out of the way and have your word flow through me, Lord. Your Bible and, and the story of what you did here on earth is so incredible. Please touch everyone here to hear and understand your word and to bring them in a closer relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're in the midst of the I am's, the seven I am's that Jesus stated in the book of John to the people and to us in the words of scripture. Now, when Jesus said I am to his Jewish audience in his seven I am's, that was very powerful and significant to them. Now, one thing we need to get clear right now, the Bible Jesus isn't an important part of the Bible. The Bible is about Jesus, cover to cover, Genesis to Revelation. Every book in the Bible is about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what we're about. That's who we are. And, you know, I, I have a, a study Bible. And the thing I love about the Bible is before every book of the Bible it, you know, talks about the genre and who wrote it and when, and it has a section in every part. Where is Jesus in this book? And it points to you where Jesus is. The whole Bible is about our Lord and Savior. So when he said, I am, he is telling the people there who didn't understand it yet that he is God. And the reason we know that is we go back to the burning bush story, right? And um, Moses is walking along, he's educated in, in, the, pal, in, the, in the palace of Pharaoh, so, and, and they're really big on science. So he says, there is a bush burning that is not being consumed. This is curious. So he walks up to it, and God speaks to him. God tells him, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. Now Moses, being raised in that palace, says, by the way, this guy thinks he's God. So who am I going to tell him has sent me? And Jesus, I mean, God's famous, famous statement, I am that I am. Now, we don't really get that, and I wish Wallace was here for the, the Hebrew translation, but as I understand it, it is an all-encompassing I am. It is I am everything, I am eternal, I am. So when Jesus came on the scene and started using the term I am, you'll see in the Bible many times, that didn't start a debate. People picked up rocks. They wanted to kill him for it because they said, you are a blasphemer. You're claiming to be the son of God, which actually he was. Um, so our, our story today, as Karen read, comes from John chapter 10. And it's a scene where Jesus goes over the magnificent disclosure of I am the good shepherd. Now, the great thing about the Bible is everything you need to know is right on the surface. Everything you need to know is right on the surface. You don't need genius theologians. You need, don't need great students of the Bible to come and tell you through all these um, changes and turns and connections what things really mean. It's very clear. I am the good shepherd, and I take care of you. But if you do a little digging, the entire Bible is a mine full of gold. It is, and this story that we're going to go over today is exactly that. It is a gold mine of information. Now, the discussion that took place of the I am took place 2,000 years ago. 
And to understand what the significance of what he was saying to them is very important. But what's even more important, or just as important, is the fact that the imagery of a shepherd goes back 1,500 years before that in all their scriptures. So when we sit here today, we're 3,500 years removed from a lot of this stuff. So we have to kind of understand what they understood. We want to look at some of the great um, statements in the Old Testament. Psalm 23. We all know Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is the amazing grace of Psalms, isn't it? Um, Let's go ahead, and I want us to read it together as a church. Let's go. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my cup overflows. Surely. Isn't that great? Amen. That is, that is a psalm that we should have burned in our hearts. And we should, we should say that to ourselves on a daily basis. Now, this is not the only place, the, the image of a shepherd. Now, this is written by David, who, by the way, the Jewish audience also knew very well from every child, they ever, every story they ever heard as a child, is David was the greatest shepherd they ever knew. David protected his sheep from bears. David protected his sheep from lions. He killed them with the slingshot. That's when he came upon Goliath and said, this idiot, I kill bears and lions. I can take this guy. Um, so that is not the only place, though, in the Old Testament where we talk about it. Let's go to the, another psalm. Psalm 81. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. 95.7. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and sheep of his land. Psalm 100, verse 3, know the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then in Isaiah, the great prophecy of our Lord and Savior, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his name. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Now, Understand that I just grabbed a handful of them. The entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation has this theme of shepherd and sheep over and over. So it is very, very significant. Now, chapter 10 in, in the book of John is where Karen read is the story of the good shepherd. But one problem we have reading the Bible, and it comes very clear here, is Chapter breaks and verses were created by men, and they were done for one reason only, so we can find stuff. They were never meant to be chapters as we in our Western minds think. If you get out a book on English, um, chapter one's nouns, chapter two's adjectives, while they're related, they're completely different subjects. The Bible is not that way. What they did is, in short bites, just broke it up. Because nobody ever studied chapters. 
back in those days. They studied books. So when they wanted to talk to each other where to find stuff, they would tell you where to find it. Well, here, this is a perfect example. Chapter 10 is really a continuation of chapter 9. Chapter 9 is, is a story that led to Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. And chapter 10 starts right in the middle of Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. He was, there were Pharisees he was speaking to when he said, I am the good shepherd. He was also speaking to us, but it was in reaction to them. So it's very important to understand when you read the Bible, don't start at a chapter thinking it's an entirely new thought. Many chapters start, therefore. Now, we know if a chapter starts, therefore, it's talking about something that came before it. So when you read your Bible, please, and also don't be a verse grabber. Verse grabbers are great. You could take a verse of the Bible and prove any argument you want with a single verse. But it's, if you put things in context, there is a message in the Bible from beginning to end. The message in the Bible from beginning to end is we are fallen, broken humans, and we need a Lord and Savior to save us, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's, and if, if a verse you read is contrary to that, you've read it wrong or it's out of context. So... Let's, let's take a look at the story in chapter 9 that actually makes Jesus come to the statement, I am the good shepherd. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. As he passed by, he saw a, man saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Let me stop right there. That is their false religion of the time that somebody who was blind sinned, or his parents sinned, and God exerted his punishment on him because he, that's why he's blind. He's, can you imagine that? Somebody in our sinful world is born with a disability of some form, and these religious people said, you have that disability because God's mad at you because you're a sinner. That is a distorted religion, and you can imagine what our Lord and Savior felt about that. Gently, I, I believe, Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. So what happens is Jesus then takes him aside in one of the most intimate scenes in the Bible. He spits in mud and makes, spits in the dirt, makes mud and wipes them on the guy's eyes and says, go wash yourself in a pool and and you'll be, well, he didn't tell him, he said, go wash yourself in the pool. So he goes and does it, and he sees. Now, he'd never seen Jesus, right? He only heard him. So all of a sudden, he sees. Now, we've got a stir in the town. What happened? This lowly sinner now sees. So they're arguing back and forth in town. Maybe it wasn't him. Maybe it's a guy that looked like him. Maybe it's somebody else. So what do they do? What you always do in those towns if you're Jewish. You go to the Pharisees, the smart guys. They brought him to the Pharisees. This is verses nine, chapter 9, 13 through 16. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. I like it. You, we never know his name. First, he's a blind guy. Now, he's a formerly blind guy. Um, now, it was a Sabbath day, and when Jesus made, made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he'd received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes, and I watch, and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Wow. Can you imagine that? Sabbath keeping means you don't do anything nice for people. 
Sabbath keeping means you sit and show everybody how holy you are. One of the greatest sermons given in this church was given by Pastor Dante Marufo. I'll never forget it. It is never wrong to do good on the Sabbath. It is never wrong to do good on the Sabbath. Please keep that in mind. So um, now there, there, a, a split occurs. Some of the Pharisees are saying, wait a minute. This guy was blind and now he sees who did this. Is, how could we say is not from God? So there's a big dispute going on. So what they, what they do is they call the guy's parents in. And they say, you know, now the big problem they had is the Pharisees had the ability to throw you out of the temple. If you're thrown out of the temple, you're damned. You're done. In their world, you're, it's over for you. So they call his parents, and his parents are petrified that they're going to get in trouble. I said, how does he see? And his parents danced the question. They said, well, we don't know. He's a grown man. Ask him. We don't know anything about it. So they call our hero back in. I love this guy. I, I can't wait to meet him in heaven because he was not intimidated by these guys. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. I love this approach. It's, it's a political approach, right? He said, they're saying, work with us. Work with us. We'll, we'll keep you in the temple. Just tell us he's a sinner and we're all good. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, though I was blind, now I see. I know that part. And then they keep bragging on him and he says, oh, do you guys want to be his disciples too? Which really made them happy. Um, so then things heat up a little bit. Verses 28 through 31. And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. Isn't that a true statement? The blind guy is a disciple of our Lord and Savior, Lord and Master of the universe, and you are disciples of one of his prophets. That, they, they spoke of their own damnation right there. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but this man, we do not know where he comes from. That is not a slight that is to be missed. Everybody knew, could do the math, that Jesus was born out of wedlock in their mind. Remember, Mary, Mary was pregnant with him before she got married. So this was a recurring theme that Christ endured. He never responded to it. Recurring theme throughout his life that the Pharisees would, would, would attack his parentage, that he was a, an illegitimate child, which nothing could be farther than the truth. The man answered, I love this, the great theologian in the building is the blind guy, the nobody, the guy who had to sit outside, the sinner. He says, this is amazing. Um, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to a sinner, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. The theologians, the guy that sat in the steps and begged. Now, the great men of God, how do they respond to that? Oh, I'm sorry, this is, a, he continues, he continues lecturing the Pharisees. Never since the world has begun has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you are born in utter sin, and, would ne and you would teach us, and they cast him out. Well, they were right, 
he was born in utter sin, but so's everybody. So's the Pharisees. So's everybody. So when he says, you're, you're born in utter sin, that's why you're born blind. So I, I love that. He, was born, he sinned before he was born. Okay, now Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus hears that the guy who was born blind has been cast out of the temple. So Jesus goes and embraces the guy and says to him, look, he says, I want to see this guy who, who, um, who made me blind, not blind anymore. And Jesus said, it is I. And he started worshiping Jesus. Then Jesus starts the discourse that gets into the good shepherd story. Jesus said, for judgment I came into the world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have, you would have no guilt. But now you say we see your guilt remains. What Jesus is saying is, this guy, he was blind. He was open to my word. He heard my word. Your arrogance, your condescension, your absolute ungodly behavior, you do in my name, you're the blind one. You're, I, I make you blind and him see. So, you know, then what we do is we jump over to chapter 10, which, okay, now he starts a different story. He's still talking to the Pharisees in the same story. So, now remember, we, this, this guy was an absolute nobody, this blind person, and now he sees, and now he's with his Lord and Savior. Okay, let's go now to the beginning of the Good Shepherd story. Truly, truly. Okay, that's very important. Did Jesus ever say anything that was untrue? Ever once. Did an untrue word ever come out of Jesus' mouth? No. When he said truly, he was, it's a bad translation. Many of the older Bibles say verily, verily. What he's saying is, this is really important. This is really important. So he's putting a real spotlight on this. I say to you, he who is the, does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is, is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls the sheep by name, and he leads them out. Huge, huge, if you understand what was going on in Jerusalem at the time and in, in Israel at the time. Every town had a sheepfold. The sheepfold had like a 10-foot wall around it, and all the shepherds would come into town. You didn't want everybody's sheep wandering around town. They would put them in this sheepfold. All the sheep would go in together because all the sheep knew their shepherd's voice. They hired a gatekeeper. The gatekeeper was a hired person who would watch the door. So you'd come in and you'd say, I'm the shepherd that left the sheep off here yesterday. I'm here to get my sheep. The gatekeeper would look at him and say, okay, I know you, you you're that guy. He'd come in and he'd say, Blackie, Whitefoot, Spotted Nose. And they would perk up. The, the, the sheep would know him. 
But the sheep who didn't know him were from another shepherd would just be noise to them. Make no, they wouldn't even look up. And they would take their sheep out. Now, he's talking about guys coming over the wall because they're not legally the shepherds. They are thieves. They are robbers. He's talking to the Pharisees. You are thieves and robbers. You came over the wall. When Jesus says, he makes a point, but he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. That's because Jesus has the legal and lawful right to claim his sheep. So when, he, when the gatekeeper sees him, he says, there's a shepherd. He walks in. He calls his sheep. They hear him. His sheep hear him, not the world. Now, he leads them out. He doesn't herd them out. He doesn't prod them out. He doesn't pull them by the hair out. They follow their shepherd. Now, what does this sheepfold represent in the, in the symbolism of the story? It can't represent heaven because robbers and thieves are coming over the wall. It can't represent the church because he's pulling them out of the church. It represents false religion. It represents the church they were in. It represents where that blind guy had just been cast out. Now think of the significance of the story. The blind guy had just been thrown out of the church, and he's following the shepherd. He wants to worship the shepherd. It represents false religion, false teaching. Teaching that says a blind guy is being punished by God is why he's blind. A false religion that says you, are, you earn merit by how you live, and if you're good enough, God will find favor in you. If you're bad, God will cast you out. If you're rich, God loves you. If you're poor, God hates you. He's pulling them out of that false religion. Now, I look around our church, and I thank God that we are sheep that were led out of a false religion. I thank God for that. Because every week, pastor or a man of the cloth gets up here and preaches the, the word of God and the sanctity of our Lord and Savior. And that is, the, that is the message of the good shepherd. Thank God that our church not only comes and does it, but gets out there and shows the love of the sheep and the love of the shepherd to the sheep of the world. Now, who are the false teachers? The false teachers are thieves and robbers. And again, he's talking about the guys coming over the wall. The guys coming over the wall, they're, they're, they're not there legally. They're not, they don't have a right to the sheep. And as the story goes on, and part two of this sermon is the door, which gets a little later in this story. Now, one of the greatest books ever written is a book called Pilgrim's Progress. Pilgrim's Progress was written by a guy named John Bunyan in the um, 17th century. And John, up for centuries, Pilgrim's Progress was the second most read book behind the Bible. And uh, I'm very glad to hear that every Adventist kid I have talked to who grew up in Adventist school read Pilgrim's Progress. That's odd because it's just an incredible book. Now, Bunyan discusses the guys coming over the wall in his book. This is from Pilgrim's Progress. Now, let me tell you about Pilgrim's Progress for you, those of you who don't know or forgotten. 
a guy named Christian, I mean, I love Bunyan. He, did, he made it very easy to understand the book because everybody's name means who they are. Um, so Christian is in, born in the city of destruction. He reads the Bible, and all of a sudden a huge burden is on his back because he realizes he's sinful and fallen. And as he leaves, he leaves to go to the celestial city. Well, on his way, when the first place he comes to is a cross, and his burden is let off him because he's come to the cross. His burden is lifted off him. But then he's, he has to go through a gate and go through a, narrow, a gate, and he has to go down this narrow path to get to the celestial city. And what's great about Pilgrim's Progress is at no time does, after he goes to the cross, does his life just become this great skipping down the bunny trail. He has his tough Christian walk that he has to go through. Well, as he's going down the path, he comes on two guys coming over the wall. And as he was troubled thereabout, he spied two men come tumbling over the wall on the left hand of the narrow way, and they made a pace to him. The name of one was formalist, and the name of the other was hypocrisy. Again, I love Bunyan because he doesn't give you a hard time trying to figure out what people are all about. And um, formalist and hypocrisy come up, and they come upon this big hill, and they're, they're telling Christian how smart they are and that they're these great teachers. And Pilgrim says, no, I... The, the path is steep. We have to go up this next hill. An old formalist in hypocrisy, they go around, try to go around the sides and fall into destruction. So it, it, it's a great image of the guys who come over the wall are thieves of robbers. Because when we see the story, we think, you know, we don't really get that whole who are the thieves and robbers and why are people coming over the wall. But it made perfect sense to his audience at that time. Perfect sense. Now, we go to the next slide. Now, well, let's, let's, before we do that, who are the sheep? Who are the sheep that hears, they are the children of God who hear their shepherd's voice? The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we hear our shepherd's voice? And it's not an audible voice. It's much louder than that. It's a compulsion. It's a drawing. It's your Lord and Savior pulling you to his bosom, like the, like the psalm said. It is the compulsion that you must be a follower of Christ. And what happens to a lot of us is Christ has given us that pull. He's talking to us, and we fight it. And if you fight it, your life is going to be miserable because he is God. He is your Lord and Savior. You could fight it. But you will have a very miserable life in so doing. Let's uh, look at the next slide. John 10, 4 and 5. When he was brought out, when he has brought out all of his own, none of us get left behind. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. So, you know, I grew up in the days of Westerns, remember, you know, rawhide and all those things. And you, you, you herd cattle, yeah, get along here, come on. And you're on your horse and you're pitting them and, and you make them go where they don't want to go. So he's leading his sheep. He's not pulling them. They're walking behind him, following him, because they know their shepherd. Any other shepherd's voice is noise. The great thing about that is sheep of Christ cannot be fooled by false teachers. Sheep of Christ cannot be fooled by false teachers. They don't hear it. 
They don't hear it. You read your Bible, you hear the voice of Christ, you instinctively know when something's wrong. You turn on your TV on Sunday morning and some of these yahoos, you know instantly, instantly, that's wrong. Come on, come on. Especially the wealth guys, those are my favorite. God put you on this earth to be wealthy. Send me 20 bucks. Um, but, you know, you know instantly, but people who are not his sheep get pulled in any direction. You become his sheep by, by surrendering to him. Now, in conclusion, we are his sheep because of his grace upon us. We are his sheep because he came down to save his sheep from utter destruction. You know, you were asked, what are you saved from? Are you saved from Satan? Satan is, Satan is under the control of God. What we are saved from is the wrath of God. We are sinful, fallen human beings. And because Christ came to this earth to die for us, we do not have to suffer the just and righteous wrath of God on an unholy world. We, we, every person on this planet since Adam was born in sin. And because we are born in sin, we are doomed to destruction. The only thing that saves you from destruction is a good shepherd who loves you so much that he came and gave his life for you and led you out of the pasture, led you out of the sheepfold. Now, the second part of the story, the, the pastor, which is the door part, the pastor takes you out to a pasture, and he's the door, and we'll get into that next time. But this part of the story, he's led them out of the false religion. He's led them out of the nonsense. He's led them into a loving relationship with him. And I pray every moment that we maintain our role as, shep as sheep to our shepherd, the one who loved us so much, and gave his life for us, the shepherd who dies for his sheep, because he ultimately says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Amen. Now, shepherd didn't lay down their life for the sheep. That, that is a tough saying for the, for the audience at the time. Shepherd would try to save them, they're not going to die for their sheep. This is a transition in the story where we get to the door. I lay down my life for my lowly sheep. Now, remember, sheep are not very smart. Sheep are stupid and defenseless. Does it remind you of anybody? <laughs> How about everybody sitting in this church? We're stupid and we're defenseless. And without our Lord and Savior, we are nothing. And we are dead meat. We are, we are meat for the lions and the bears that David saved them from. But with our shepherd, we are in the hands of our loving and righteous God.